0: This episode is a part of UPR's Project Resilience, made possible with support from the USU Center for Persons with Disabilities.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, the pandemic is coming up on a year now. More than 500,000 have died in the U.S., millions have been or are sick. The need for caregiving has increased. Many of us are tired mentally, emotionally, and physically. Stress and isolation and worry are taking a toll. Today we're going to talk about mental health during the pandemic. Our guests include Derek Tullefson, professor of social work at USU, Daphne Jones, a doctoral intern in the USU Counseling and Psychological Services, or CAPS, office, Felicia Gallegos, outreach and prevention coordinator with the USU Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, and Ari Bentley, associate director of USU's CAPS office. And we want to know how you're doing uh, tell us how you're holding up. How are you coping? Uh, what are your strategies? Uh, maybe you have some tips for the rest of us. And uh, let us know how you're doing. Uh, upraxis at gmail.com is the email. upraxis at gmail.com. We begin with uh, Professor Tollefson, who is... A professor of social work. He's head of the Department of Sociology, Social Work and Anthropology at Utah State University. He also directs the i System Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies at USU. We're gonna talk about the uh, mental health aspect of the of uh, the pandemic. Of course we all know <laughs> we can just check ourselves. Uh, you know, we're just just tired. It's we're approaching a year right now, right? Of Lives being disrupted yeah. and many people dying, and uh, you know, many people getting sick, and uh, you know, people having to do caregiving, and uh, just all the all the stresses um, as uh, you know manifesting himself in various different ways uh, with us.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think in addition to what you mentioned, there's just there's just the cumulative effect of having to answer the question over and over again. Well, how am I going to do that? now you know how am i going to do that given the situation that i'm in so there's we just find ourselves having to figure out a lot of things and i mean all of it it just adds up it takes a ton of mental en- mental energy and uh you know it, and it just starts to wear on people
1: so um you know i was looking this up uh today to, um you know i had a question that our suicide rates up Uh, There are studies that are in the field right now. One one that I heard on the radio yesterday in Japan said that during the early months of of COVID, uh, suicide rates went down, but uh, later months it went up, and especially among among women, 37% or something up. Uh, So I don't know what the the overall data is showing us, but I I think that's one way perhaps that uh, stress is manifesting itself.
0: Well, certainly uh, suicide and its connection to... Mental health challenges is 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 a well-known connection, but so I I think it stands to reason that as mental health challenges become more prevalent, that unfortunately, sadly, that statistic will increase as well. And I haven't seen uh, that data that you're talking about, but speaking about the impact on women, uh, I have seen plenty of uh, data that suggests. That the pandemic has been particularly difficult for for many women, particularly women who are already juggling multiple roles in their lives anyway, and and then you know, all of this. I mean, it's just it's one thing, right? Going back to what I said before, for us to to have to refigure out everything for ourselves. You know, well, how am I going to do that? Well, how am I going to do this? But when that's added on to perhaps several others, that you're trying to coordinate children. Um, if you're in other kinds of caretaking roles, it's just—it's just a lot. It's a lot of new new things to figure out, and you know, and I think that the burden has has really disproportionately impacted uh, women.
1: I haven't seen uh, statistics on this, but I got, you know I think we could assume this: uh, rates of anxiety up, depression, uh, increased substance abuse. I, I think I have seen statistics on increases in domestic violence. Uh, the, the these these are various ways that it manifests itself in families and society. Um and just uh, overall as you said um uh, so I wonder if you talk a little bit about um just sustained stress. I mean we we have stress in our lives, right? But uh, this kind of sustained stress is um is I imagine damaging.
0: Yeah, it is. It it really is. Sometimes we will re- refer to this um, this higher level of sustained stress is toxic stress. Um, stress is, is very normal. We all experience stress day in, day out. In fact, uh, some levels of stress are actually good for us because they can energize us. They can help us be motivated to get things done. You know, we just we feel a bit of that stress of a deadline coming up or a test or, you know, what, whatever it is, uh, you know, there's a healthy level of of energy, uh, both psychological and actually you know, physiological, that comes with that. But but that's really meant to be a short term boost. Uh, you know, when it when it sticks, you know, when that kind of lever sticks on, if you will, and those stress hormones continue to run you know, course through our veins and and there's just no let up on it, you know, that that becomes very bad for us um, and helps us, you know, will, will push us toward feeling burned out. And so once we reach that level of toxic stress, you know, that we don't get relief from it, it just continues and continues and continues, it, the, the consequences are not good for us at a, a number of levels.
1: Of course, we've got individual stress that's just sustained and... Um... Uh, and then community. We're experiencing this together as a community as, as well, right? Hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know that uh, that's an interesting part of this with the pandemic because I think there is there is something about all of us being in it together that is a bit of a protective factor, right? It's like I, I'm not singled out. I'm seeing lots of people struggle with this, and I think as we try to come together and support each other we realize it's this you know this isn't about a personal failing or a personal ability to rise to meet a challenge it's like you know this is a systemic thing and we're all you know a lot of us are in this together although certainly you know not all are affected in the same way by any means but but we have a sense that we're all struggling and and so that can be a helpful thing but again i just as You know, as it drags on, I mean, even that, um, effect, which, you know, I think we saw a lot of early in the, in the pandemic, a lot of emailing each other and saying, you know, we, we'll get through this together and, and those kinds of things, you know, at this point, I think everybody's just, just trying to grind it out, you know, and, um, it's, it's gotten tough.
1: Do you uh, how do you see this manifest in you know say your students or colleagues or in the community or you know the studies that you've seen um, and as you say, you know <laughs> kind of all pulling together at the beginning and uh, boy, if this drags on, uh, that's probably a good phrase. We're just trying to grind this thing out. but, yep. but there but there's, I mean, there's got to be effects, right? And it maybe that we don't even notice in ourselves.
0: Well, I think I think that's true. And, you know, we we before the pandemic, we were seeing increased trends in depression and anxiety uh, amongst our students, and I think also just amongst the, the general, you know, the communities in general uh, that we interact with, and and COVID's just really added to that. Um, adding on top of that becomes more difficult, maybe to get the kind of services that you need, although certainly CAPS is as open as they've ever been and, and all the services are being offered. It just may be more difficult for some who have moved to that remote world to, to feel like they can access services that way. Although they, like I said, they are available. And, and from what we can tell, you know, they, they are very effective when people engage in those remote services. But Yeah, it's, it, anxiety, depression—it just continues to, to be a problem, and and I and I think we have to we have to we have to watch ourselves. You know, you talked about how we may not even notice it in ourselves, and and I think it's good for us to periodically just step back, take a few deep breaths, and say, you know, where am I at? How am I doing? How am I, How is my self-care? And do some things. Yeah, be be extra intentional about the self care and finding time for it. I think it's absolutely critical that we do that, even if it's just a few minutes plugged in every day of some self care. You know, it's it's really important.
1: I want to follow up with that before I do, before I do self care. Before I do, I want to follow up with remote. Um, I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, you know, virtual uh, virtually administered, uh, mental health services. You say those, those have been proven to be effective. People don't need to worry about that. They can, the, the, you know, they yeah. reach, reach out and, and get help remotely.
0: Yeah, I think, I, I think we're, we're seeing just, just sort of anecdotally and all the clinicians that I interact with and in, in the different hats that I wear, you know, I think they're saying, yes, it's, it's workable. It's doable. People People get the hang of it. In fact, some of them say to me that some of their clients actually prefer it and may not ever go back to coming to an office because it just fits their life better. You know, they don't have to arrange for this, that, or the other. It's just, it's just easier for them to interact with a clinician that way. And obviously some, as soon as they can, they they would much prefer to just come in and have that face-to-face interaction. But So I think it really comes down to what is it that that... That, that that person wants, but I think we're seeing that it can be done It has, it can be done well. And you know, before the pandemic hit, there, there was some initial research that's been going on now for, for several years into looking at outcomes from telehealth and those kinds of things. And I think the general, you know, I'm not super familiar with, with that literature, but what I have read would suggest that if it's done right, done well, um, it can be effective.
1: How do we deal with uh, with sense of isolation? That's been a big uh, thing, right? Especially elderly populations. We had to be very careful with them, care centers, and and the like. I'm sure that's got to wear down on those folks. But but maybe just uh, someone who's trying to be extra super careful, right? And they're just in their home. They don't go out go out much. Uh, it's got to wear down on you.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the you know we tend to be social beings, and I think. You know, we we really, I think, thrive on that energy. You know, and I, I, I still come as a department head to the office quite a bit, um, you know, and there's really just a, a couple of faculty members who come here on any kind of regular basis, which is completely fine because we're being encouraged to work from home. But I just bring this up because when I walk in the door and it's quiet and the lights are still off and, uh, you know, I miss feeding off the energy of my colleagues, just just being able to walk through the halls and even the students as they circulate through the halls. There's just something about that being together that we feed off of. And when that's missing, I mean, it's, it's, it's real. And again, I think we have to be intentional about what do we do to replace it? Because in our everyday lives before the pandemic, we just had the right amount typically programmed in um, where we were trying to, and it was fairly straightforward, but now it gets awkward, it gets more difficult. So I think it's like that self-care thing. We have to be really intentional about what what is it that I'm doing to stay connected? Am I learning to use new technology? Am I learning to take advantage of these other things that that are available? You know, just speaking about my own personal uh, family, you know, my parents had never used zoom before i mean they had no idea what that even was and but we got in the habit of fairly routinely you know instead of a phone call we we would have a video call or use facetime something else that they had to learn but but i think as we got more intentional about it just realized hey we have to we just have to find ways you know we can't just subtract it from our lives and say well it's it's fine because it isn't it just isn't fine it it leaves a gap and we have to be intentional about finding ways to fill it as best we can.
1: Uh, so, so expand on that. Uh, you start into that. So, so self care. What what are some uh, what are some things, some methods, some some things to remember uh, uh, in that area?
0: Well, I think there's, the list is enormous about things that we can do to take care of ourselves. But uh, anything that I think helps us just kind of disengage. A little bit from the usual daily grind you know exercise is a terrific form of self-care that can take so many different forms um, and can be done you know really even still within one's home Uh, I think doing some things to you know have some quiet time Um, you know get out get out of the reading that you have to do for work and find something that you want to read for example um, get outside, you know how you, how you feel comfortable, um, and and take in the sun and and just experience you know, being out in the in the outdoors. And so I think we just, you know, my my from what I see, you know, as, as we're in this remote work and we're just at home working, it really becomes pretty easy to just sit there at that desk you know, all day long and pretty soon you realize maybe I even missed lunch or, you know, I, I think we have to program some self-care events into our day and 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 really try to stick to them uh, as strictly as we can. You know, for me, that's my early early morning walk. I mean, I, I just have to figure out how to do that, even if it's cold outside, you know, um, I just made a promise to myself that I, I actually wasn't going to use my treadmill this winter. I have a road out back where I live in Wellsville that's just a country road, and and you know I'm just getting up and I'm bundling up and I'm going outside, and uh, and I've stuck to that, and I can tell you I have come to depend on that. So I think we all have to find that thing that helps us, or that couple of things that helps us.
1: What would you say to uh, you mentioned uh, the, the, you know, women uh, perhaps being hit harder? I mean, with employment, uh, you know, more traditionally caregiving roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so self care, how do you put the self care when you're so busy caring for other people? It's not just women, but you know, any anyone who's had to ramp up their their caregiving.
0: Yeah, I. I it's that's a great question, and it's I don't have a, a simple answer, but I will say. I think it means trying to reach out and bringing in some more help and resources where you can. Um, you know, working with other colleagues uh, to help each other out with with some of those uh, our friends and family helping out you know and then everybody's gonna be at a different place, right with how comfortable they are interacting. but again, it's one of those things we have to just we have to work at figuring out and finding ways. Uh, to get that self-care plugged in. And, and I think it's okay to reach out and say, you know, I really I really need some support here um, in figuring out how to put some self-care into my life and asking other people, other loved ones in your life to help with that.
1: Uh, so I want to talk a bit about resilience. So you, you think, teach a lot about resilience. um so uh, an event like this, ongoing event, so community resilience, individual resilience. Does something like this wear down our resilience? So we're less resilient to 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 face it next month, next year, whatever it is.
0: Oh, I, I think it can. You know, I I just think of these things in terms of you know, bandwidth. You know, we all have so much bandwidth, and and uh, you know, and and. When you're when you're carrying a lot, when you're figuring a lot of things, new things out, I mean, it just eats up a lot of the bandwidth, and and that does impact our ability to be resilient. You know, if you think of the of the RPM gauge on your car, you know, your tachometer that tells you how fast the engine, the pistons in the in the engine are turning. You know, and there's a red line on that uh, saying, well, it's really not healthy for this engine to run above. This many RPMs at a sustained level, right? And so, if you're up near that red line all the time, you just don't have you just don't have a lot of room to to put those boosts in when you need to uh, rise to you know, meet the occasion, like pass a car or whatever. So, it, I, yeah, I think it's I think it does eat at our resilience. But what we know about resilience is that we we have a lot to say about Doing you know, the kinds of things in our life that can help us uh, to be resilient. Uh, there's there's so much out there that we can do that we know helps us to stay resilient. Those self-care things, the exercise things, um, staying connected socially. You know, participating in uh, another one of those resilience factors is participating in you know in whatever your Existential uh, thing is, if that's religion, then participate in that. You know, whatever whatever that is, those those things actually make a big difference and can help us to remain resilient.
1: What are the factors? What I could imagine uh, being uninformed, but <laughs> I'm just guessing that uh, you need to be, uh, you know, mindful about it, conscious about it, regular, right? Your your regular walks every day.
0: Yes. Yeah, it 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 has to become programmed into what you do because if it's not it just seems like it's the it's the these things that build resilience that get pushed to the back burner uh, first because of all the other demands on our time so uh, we have to uh, you know we have to defend them pretty fiercely because it's really easy to just cross that off well I, I don't have time to make that walk today, right? Or maybe it's a little colder than, than I would normally like to withstand out on a walk, but you know, I'm going to do it anyway. And so I think you just have to, it's really important to defend those things in your schedule just as fiercely as you can.
1: Well, you uh, you direct the System Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies at USU. Um, so, uh, that, you uh, um, that institute uh, talks about mind body bridging. So, that's one mm-hmm. I, one thing I, I assume you would suggest uh, people may want to consider.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, mind body bridging is this uh, collection of what some might refer to as kind of traditional mindfulness skills and what we call some metacognitive skills, which is you know, thinking about our thinking and being aware of the things that we're thinking about. and. Being more intentional about uh, directing our our thinking in certain directions, but yeah, the, those kinds of you know, things like mind-body bridging, just those skills of staying in the moment, staying present, uh, using you know mind-body bridging, we we talk about using sensory awareness practices. So so literally coming to our senses many times throughout the day helps us get into this right mind-body-brain network that we need in order to be our most resilient self. Uh, you know, if we're not careful, our uh, that part of our brain that just goes to fight or flight or sometimes even freeze, we, we can engage in in habits of the mind, if you will, that will actually keep us over in that mind-body place and that brings with it its stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, all kinds of other things that over time are really uh, not helpful for us, um, except in just these really short bursts. So you know, these skills of mind-body bridging are really about staying focused, aware in the moment, and, and then staying aware of our thinking. You know, what kind of stories are we telling ourselves during the day? Um, We're usually telling ourselves stories about brokenness or damage about ourselves or the world, Um, and then those stories are going to be followed up usually with stories about how that's going to be fixed. How does that need to be fixed? What am I going to do to fix that? And so then you're just in this cycle in your head of going through stories about brokenness and fixing, and uh, you know, and those things just aren't aren't helpful. They're not productive. What, when we are at our best as humans is when we are plugged into the moment, what I call living in high definition. You know, our executive functioning, our most powerful brain, mind-body networks are online, and we're just, we're just engaged in, the, in meeting the moment. And uh, that's when we're most, our most creative selves, our most resilient selves.
1: Um where can people go to get more information about this?
0: Yeah, they they can go uh, take a look at our website i-system.usu.edu and you can see some of the uh, the things that we're up to there. We we also provide workshops, three session workshops for any any groups on campus that are interested in just developing some of these core skill sets uh, that I've talked about briefly here. And they're free, so we're, we're usually offering a couple workshops at any given point during a semester. So anybody's welcome to take those, and we're, we're doing them right now on Zoom, of course, which works just fine. So people can develop, take those workshops to learn more. You know, and students that want to even learn more than that, we have we have courses, USU 1030, which is a course, a one-credit-hour course, where we go even deeper into this, and, and then even an upper-division course, human resilience and flourishing, that we teach in social
1: work, that would be available to folks. So,
0: yeah, lots of lots of options there to learn more.
1: How can we, uh, I guess, speaking in individuals or listening, and, or you know, collectively, how can we come out of this more resilient um, and and not less resilient?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting question uh, because you know that's what resilience is about—is bouncing back, or even sometimes what I, I and some others call, bouncing forward, meaning you know you're not just bouncing back to a place that you were, but you're you're coming to a place of even greater strength and ability, and I think that comes with going through tough times. And, um, and emerging from those tough times and, and knowing, hey, I did it. You know, I I did something really hard. And I, I can imagine that years down the road, many of us will be talking to our grandchildren about, you know, like my grandparents talked to me about the Depression. You know, that they would say that was just such a hard time. But, you know, we did this and we did that, and we just found a way through it. And, and they carried with them a sense of you know, we did it. We did that and we came out on the other side even better uh, than we, we were when we went into it in a lot of ways. So I think we'll wanna, we wanna watch for that in our own personal narrative about how is this making me stronger? How is this, despite all the difficulties, you know, what, what are some of the things that I'm learning and how am I growing?
1: Oh, anything else you'd like to say uh, about this? Some very useful information here.
0: Uh, boy, there's probably lots we could say about <laughs> this thing, but I, I just, I guess I'd just say to everybody, just continue grinding this out. I, I, I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic, but I really feel like, I feel like we're going to turn a corner here. Maybe we already are. And, uh, you know, there's great great days ahead for us, great great days ahead, even though many challenges remain. Um, I'm certainly optimistic and, and look forward to continuing to reflect on, you know, how I've learned and grown through this experience and how I've maybe gotten even better at some of the things that I try to do.
1: Mm, excellent. I guess a good note here at the end, um, you know, take care of ourselves, but look around for others and... Uh, yep. You know, in some cases, they need to be connected, or maybe we need to be connected to outside help. So,
0: Yeah, for sure, and there's lots of resources here available to us as a USU community, so uh, just reach out. There's no wrong doors. Reach out to CAPS. Reach out to me. Uh, reach out to the Student Health Center. I mean, there's a long list. Where there's lots of resources. We're here to help.
1: Well, thank you, Derek Tollipson. Uh, appreciate it very much. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom, for your time. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks. You're listening to Access Utah. Thanks to Professor Tollefson, professor of social work, head of the Department of Sociology, Social Work, and Anthropology at USU. He also directs the iSystem Institute for Transdisciplinary Studies at USU. If you just joined us, we're talking about mental health and emotional aspects of the pandemic coming up on a year now. And uh, we are going to make a transition to uh, uh, talking with uh, three guests in the next uh, half of the program. Uh, Daphne Jones, a USU doctoral intern with the USU uh, Counseling and Psychological Services uh, Office will be with us. Ari Bentley, Associate Director of that office, also with us. And uh, Felicia Gallegos, uh, who's with uh, uh, SAVI, the um, Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office at USU, will be joining us as well and i hope you'll continue with us love to know how you're doing what are your coping strategies you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com more following this break thanks for listening to access utah i'm tom williams and we're talking about uh, mental health aspects of the pandemic emotional aspects Uh, we're coming up on a year now The need for caregiving has increased, and uh, many of us are just tired mentally, emotionally, and physically. Stress and isolation and worry are taking a toll. And so we're talking about mental health during the pandemic uh, today. And uh, we are bringing on for this uh, part of the conversation uh, Felicia Gallegos, uh, Outreach and Prevention Coordinator with USU's Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office. Uh, uh, Welcome back to the program. Appreciate it.
2: Good morning. Good,
1: How are you? Doing well. Hopefully, you as well. <laughs> uh, we also bring on yeah. board uh, here uh, Ari Bentley, who's Associate uh, Director of uh, USU's Counseling and Psychological Services. So thanks for joining us. Good morning.
3: Thank good, you for having me good, here
1: today. Good morning. And let's start with uh, Daphne Jones, a doctoral intern with uh, USU's Counseling and Psychological uh, Services. Um, So, Daphne, I understand you're, uh, uh, well, tell me what a doctoral intern does.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am currently uh, getting my Ph.D. in counseling psychology from the University of Georgia, and a part of our um, kind of requirements at the end is to complete an internship. And so it kind of works really similarly, if you know about how people, uh, medical students match for their residencies, it's really uh, kind of the same. Uh, so we apply to a lot of different places, and then we end up matching somewhere. And so I uh, had the privilege of matching at Utah State University, so I am here until about July.
1: Okay, very good. Um, you were at Utah State for your undergraduate, and you were an a, uh, athlete, right? Long jump is what you're...
4: Yes, so, yeah. I was. Go Aggies. <laughs> go
1: Hackies. Then you went to uh, what University of Georgia for your master's and and then back here. Uh, you say your, your research uh, focuses predominantly on experiences of black student-athletes and understanding black mental health and well-being. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, first question, though, is, is a general one. Uh, you know, the, uh, the students you interact with or maybe come through uh, CAPS uh, there, uh, you know, what I'm sensing is people are just... and worn down a year into this uh, pandemic. Are we seeing this similar things, the university community?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we're all just sort of doing uh, the best that we can right now. Um, I think that a lot of my clients have told me um, that this this time is just really hard for them. Um, I think they're really struggling with a different format of learning um, with most things being online. Um, and then you have courses that are are more hybrid, where maybe they're coming into to class at some points, but then doing things online at other points. And I think one of the main things that feels like a, a pretty significant stressor right now is that uh, there's a lot of inconsistency um, with course stuff, um, and so you may have one professor. That sort of um, does like live class, you know, where you have a, a specific time that you're coming to class and you're, you're hopping on Zoom uh, to learn. But then other professors are, you know, more so uh, taking this route where they might put every all the content out for the semester at the beginning. And so I think students are then in a position and I think especially our freshmen are really impacted Uh, by this because they come from so much structure from high school and then, you know, come into college and have this experience of online learning that I would say is pretty independent. Um, So they're really, really struggling, I think, with this. Um, And as a staff at CAPS, uh, we definitely have conversations around just, like, how are we doing? Um, How are we holding up? What can we do to support one another? Um, How can we sort of... um, engage in self-care practices so that we are showing up the best that we can for our clients. So I think uh, everyone is, is very impacted by this, and, I, you know, I think the larger community is as well.
1: I could imagine, that maybe you can never deny this, uh, what you see coming through CAPS there, there might be, you know, increased incidence of depression, anxiety, uh, maybe increased... Uh, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to with uh, suicide ideation, or or perhaps even increase in suicide? I don't know if any of those things you're seeing an increase in those things. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I think just sort of based on the national trends of suicide and, and thoughts of suicide, um, we know that suicide is a major public health concern in the United States. And You know, I think I was I was reading up that uh, suicide is actually the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Um, And so, you know, just even based on like the CDC data in the past several years, it's just really only trended upwards. So while, you know, I couldn't really say anything about like COVID having sort of a a direct causal uh, relationship with suicide. What I can say is that, you know, I think that COVID, what it has done has really Uh, kind of amplified those signs for individuals um, or uh, individuals that may have already struggling with their mental health um, and then maybe introduce that reality to um, others. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times uh, we as mental health professionals will look for things um, that we see as, you know, risk factors or warning signs, we call them, of suicide. And uh, what the pandemic has done is a really sort of forced some of those things into our lives. And so things like, um, you know, isolation, um, having to stop different activities that we're really interested in, that, that kept us uh, feeling good about ourselves. Uh, school and work has changed significantly for individuals, um, and maybe they don't feel as connected to their work or their school um, or don't feel as interested in that. Um, and then, you know, another warning sign that we see is sometimes when when someone has a, a significant loss in their life, sometimes that can be a warning sign of suicide. And the grieving process right now with COVID has, has been really complicated. And I think the way that people may have been used to grieving or mourning um, the loss of a loved one is uh, pretty unusually different now. Um, you know, I know that um, funerals look a lot different. Um, being able to sit with a loved one at a hospital uh, maybe while while they pass away or are sick or hurting, um we can't really do those things right now. And so I think it is having um, a significant impact on students um, and just the larger community in general. Um, so yeah, I think I think people are having a really difficult time with this, and I definitely think that that suicide and and covid are are sort of correlated um, in that way.
1: Mm. Let me turn briefly to Ari Bentley, uh, Associate Director of CAPS. Uh, how best to connect with, with services? If, if you know someone listening uh, is is having a problem, how how best to connect?
3: Yeah. So for USU students, right now we're providing all of our services um, through telehealth, which means with most students we meet with them over Zoom, and sometimes we conduct our sessions over the phone. And um, so what they do is uh, they can either email us, uh, that would be capsinfo at usu.edu, or give us a call, our main office, 435-797-1012, to initiate that process. We'll then send them a web link to complete paperwork online. And when students do that, uh, we have a triage system to assess their um, urgency level to get a uh, schedule appointment for them. So uh, if people are in urgent need for appointment, like uh, they are endorsing some suicide risks or recent trauma, then we will try to get them in on the same day or within 72 hours at most. But even when they're not um, exhibiting any high risks, we have uh, tweaked our system a little bit so that we are able to get anybody in, typically within a week right now, no more than two weeks at the most. So I know many of our students are uh, often concerned about waitlists at CAPS and that um, becomes a barrier for them from seeking services. But so I do want to um, remind people now that, you know, we do not have a huge waitlist and we are able to get people in quickly. And I do want to encourage people to um, access our resources. And sometimes if students are not uh, sure about connecting with us, it can help for a caring friend, uh, faculty, or staff to make that phone call together, you know, make that initial kind of step a little bit easier so they can call us together and then uh, help student get through that first appointment-making process.
1: Very good. I want to give out this uh, National Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline number, 800 273 800-273-8255. Mm-hmm. 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. Or you can just Google uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I want to turn to uh, Felicia Gallegos um, with uh, SAVI, which is the USU's Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office. Um, I heard earlier in the uh, the pandemic uh, that rates of domestic violence were up. I don't know if that's the case at USU. And and what about uh, sexual assault?
2: Yeah, so um, I know... Nationally and throughout the state of Utah when the pandemic did initially begin, as individuals were required to social distance and work from home um, in response to COVID precautions, rates of domestic violence, or rather rates of individuals reporting domestic violence and seeking help for domestic violence did increase. Um, and as far as savvy over the last year, our instances of relationship and sexual violence have been pretty consistent with years previous Um, but similar to CAPS we have seen that the impact of instances on a survivor's mental health and well-being are more severe than previous years Um, likely as Daphne mentioned because survivors have now been cut off from their support systems and previous coping mechanisms that they had um, in a world where COVID restrictions don't allow them that, that space and so i don't end those support systems so our survivors are struggling to find that support and therefore their mental health is suffering
1: uh, so what would your what's your advice uh, then but you, you know obviously i guess well where to go remind us where to go how to how to report how, how to reach out for help
2: Yeah, so I'm going to start with just responding to survivors generally. Um, When it comes to being a survivor, it's so complex in your ability to recognize that maybe you are experiencing relationship violence, um, whether that be dating or domestic violence. And so it's important that we become educated about, you know, what are warning signs of relationship violence? What should that look like? Because or what does that look like? Because many, for many of us, the only narrative we have of relationship violence is what we've seen through movies or TV shows. And the reality is that there are so many other elements present in dating and domestic violence than maybe the physical violence that's present in movies, right? We see any form of power and controlling behavior could potentially be a sign that someone's relationship is abusive or, or at least unhealthy. And so for us, whether we are in a relationship or whether we have a friend or a family member that we're concerned about, just taking time to educate about, educate ourselves about what we should be looking for. And Savvy is more than willing to work with individuals to educate them according, accordingly. And then if you have someone in your life that you recognize I think that my friend or family member is in an unhealthy relationship. When you approach that individual or if that individual comes to you, I want everyone to start by recognizing how incredibly difficult it is to be in that situation, to be in an unhealthy relationship. That is not simply I'm going to leave this relationship because I know it's unhealthy. That's not the case. It is so complex. And there are so many levels to leaving a relationship. And we want to make sure that a survivor is wrapped with resources when they leave a relationship so that they can do so safely. So when you are supporting a survivor who is leaving an unhealthy or abusive relationship, start by believing them. Start by being someone who hears them out, who trusts what they're saying, who doesn't question their experience experiences or question how they're responding to their experiences, simply just listen, be someone who believes, and then get them connected to resources that are going to help them navigate their options, which brings me to SAVI. What we do on campus for students, faculty, and staff across our USU statewide system is we provide free and confidential advocacy and therapy. And I want to highlight specifically our advocacy services as such an impactful resource for individuals who are trying to navigate their options following an experience of relationship violence or sexual violence. Our advocates create a safe space to talk through options with a survivor and then serve as a resource connector moving forward, whether that means helping a survivor report their incident or get financial assistance or even receive supportive measures through the Office of Equity, whatever that survivor may need, Savvy is here to believe them and support them along their healing journey.
1: Mm. Uh, so uh, what's the a number, website, What, how best to contact?
2: Yeah, so similarly to CAPS, we are doing a lot of telehealth. We are also able and willing to meet in person as well as needed especially for things like court appearances or hospital exams. Um, but the best way to get in contact is to either call us, which is going to be 435-797-7273, or visit our website, which is savvy.usu.edu And there is a link right on our front page um, to start client paperwork, and that'll get you started into our system.
0: Very,
1: advocate. very good. We just have about three minutes left. I want to address this with Daphne Jones. Um, are mental health effects of the pandemic manifesting themselves differently in minority communities?
4: Yes, they absolutely are. And I think there's a couple of things that, that come to mind when I think about communities of color um, being impacted. And I think the first of those reasons um, are definitely racial health care disparities. Um, and the reality is is that racial health care disparities have been a concern for a really, really long time. Um And again, what we're seeing with the pandemic is this sort of magnification of a longstanding issue. And I think because of because these disparities exist, um, you know we have things like poverty, access to insurance, adequate treatment. Maybe there's language barriers, access to food, transportation, um, racism in the healthcare setting. Uh, so the list goes on and on. Uh, there tends to be a much higher number of people of color uh, with pre-existing health concerns uh, because of those barriers to treatment. And, you know, one of the first things that we heard back in March um, when everything was, you know, the lockdown started and, and things started to come forward with um, COVID was that those with pre-existing conditions were much likely to not only contract COVID, but then also to die from COVID. And, you know, because of that, it has been our Black communities, our Indigenous and Native communities, and our Latinx folks that are the ones who have been disproportionately um, impacted by COVID. Um, So a great resource, if you have not checked this out, uh, is the the COVID Tracking Project um, includes uh, what's called a, a COVID Racial Data Tracker. And you can see the statistics of people who are contracting COVID and dying from COVID. And, and you can also look at your state-specific statistics. And uh, Utah, you, we see such uh, alarming data um, because Utah, I think, is something like 85% white. Uh, but the numbers still reflect the national uh, statistics where you have your Native, Indigenous, Latinx, and Black folks that are the most likely to have contracted and die, dying from COVID. Um, so, quickly, the other, the other reason that I see as a concern is that, um, you know, there is a lot of race-related tension, race-related stress that has been extremely salient in uh, 2020 and 2021. And I think when everything started to unfold at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw um, increased numbers of, of, anti-Asian, invi- of uh, anti-Asian violence. Um, and an increase with things like hate crimes, harassment, bullying, and discrimination. And I think in addition to that, um, you know, we've been impacted by police brutality um, and the unful, un, unlawful killings and murders of black folks in this country. And, you know, so I think with racial health care disparities coupled with racial violence and racial trauma, uh, we would really expect that people of color and their, their mental health is significantly more impacted um, during this
1: time. Eric uh, Bentley again, what, what what are the contact uh, points uh, to, to get uh, connected with Counseling and Psychological Services at USU?
3: Uh, sure. So for USU CAPS, for USU students, our phone number is 435-797-1012, and our email address is caps info C-A-P-S-I-N-F-O at USU.edu. You can also get information on AgiWellness@usu.edu.
1: And uh, we're down there at the end of the time. Uh, Felicia Gallegos, what were the contact points again for Savvy?
2: Yeah, for Savvy, the phone number is 435-797-7273. And a, the website is Usu.edu
1: uh, and I want to give this out again, um, the uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255, or just go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. We'll reach the uh, end of our time, um, and we uh, definitely appreciate uh, Daphne Jones, a USU doctoral intern with the uh, USU CAPS uh, office. Uh, Daphne Jones, thank you so much.
4: Yes, of course. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. uh, Ari Bentley, Associate Director with USU CAPS. uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, Felicia Gallegos, who's Outreach and Prevention Coordinator with the USU Savvy Office. uh, Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much.
1: And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Tomorrow on the program... Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about a new film, and there will be some related uh, events at USU coming up uh, shortly. Uh, the film's called Picture a Scientist, and it uh, details the barriers and uh, difficulties uh, that at least some women in the field of science uh, have encountered and how they're overcoming those. So we'll have the film's director, we'll have some f- uh, clips from the film, and we'll have uh, uh, several panelists uh, from the USU community. That's coming up tomorrow. I hope you join us then. Thanks for joining us today.